I was reading this, um, I thought some of the statistics were kind of staggering. There, last year, 2015, there were $18.9 billion spent on Valentine's Day in the United States. Um, the number one expense or, uh, purchase was flowers, uh, then jewel, jewelry and apparel, then movies, and I thought movies, really? As that's that, that's the Valentine's. I don't know. I couldn't think of going to a movie on Valentine's. That didn't sound like it fit. But um, restaurants, number five, and and on and on. There were there were one point seven billion dollars spent on candy alone. Uh, Fifty eight million pounds of chocolate sold. Thirty six million um, heart shaped boxes of chocolate. Um, I don't know how many billions of those little chalky, white, nasty heart candies that, that I don't know, they probably, billions of them are made and sold, probably a couple hundred that may have been eaten, but um, the Americans spent $700 million on Valentine's gifts for their pets, so uh, we, we were not included in that one. Um, I'm not going to give any commentary on those stats and what they may or may not mean. Um, that's dangerous waters that I'm not willing to walk in tonight. Um, <laughs> but all of that money spent on all of those things, and and I, I still say there's probably nothing that beats um, a Valentine's letter in terms of a gift that's appreciated, and it costs probably three cents when you add it all up between the paper and the ink. Um, and and now some ladies may question, maybe they think jewelry is a better gift or an equal gift, but that's okay. But tonight we're, we're looking at a letter, and it's this short little letter, some call it a postcard, uh, that John wrote to a lady that he loved. That's how he addresses the letter. It's the letter of Second John. And so is that what John, Second John is? Is it a, a Valentine's love letter? Um, is it a first century love letter that kind of got snuck into the scriptures? Opening words, verse 1, the elder, John, to the elect or chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. And then later he says, I ask you, dear lady, that we love one another. So first question, just to get us into Second John, is who is this elect or chosen lady that John has so much affection for? Well, most likely, John is using this language, this kind of metaphorical language, cryptic language, to speak of a church. Not an, this isn't about an individual, a, a woman. Um, there's a there's grammatical evidence in the Greek for this that there's there's no article before the little adjective, the elect or chosen lady. That's one reason. The 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 you singular is moves to you plural y'all in verses six and following. That's evidence. The kind of language that he's using here isn't unique in the New Testament. You have in Ephesians and Revelation the the bride of Christ, reference to the church. And Peter talks about in the close of his first letter, he speaks of, in reference to the church, she who is in, at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, 1 Peter 5.13. And, and as you look in the early church, that this letter of Second John was generally interpreted as being written to a church. And most contemporary Bible scholars would say the same thing. So this domestic language is really church language. This is how he's 
who he's addressing. He's addressing a church. So the children that he talks about are children of faith. These are the you know, fellow believers in the church. And First John, Paul, or excuse me, First John, John uses that same language. He writes to my dear children. So I think that what what John is doing, he's addressing a church. So now that okay, so that's settled. But what is the, what is the letter about? What is what is this the content of this little letter? Well, I'm not going to answer directly yet, but I just want to kind of swerve into that and and just think about an apparent tension that seems to exist in our day and it's that tension between truth and love uh, is truth versus love or truth or love maybe that would be not truth and love but many people think that truth and love are kind of either or matters it's they're they're polar opposites north and south opposite ends of the spectrum um, truth and love so if you want to love if you want to show more love, you need to ease up on the truth. And if, you, if you're going to speak the truth, that means that love's going to be sacrificed in that process. That's kind of how we feel sometimes when we're talking about truth and love. And, and this divide is even found in churches. They, we think in terms of that's a truth-oriented church. and Well, that's really a love-oriented church. So the truth-oriented church is focused on doctrine and preaching and teaching and and apologetics and evangelism and those kinds of things where a love-oriented truth would be more focused on counseling and 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 uh, community and recovery groups and social ministries and community outreach those kinds of things so 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 we can we can see that we we struggle with that tension in trying to make some divide it and it, and if that division sounds kind of right to you then I think Second John is 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 going to be of interest. Uh, to you because we're going to see these two together and, and John fuses these two together truth and love in this letter it's a explicit in verse 3 the pairing is stated truth and love he puts them puts them together now truth or but truth and love he doesn't see truth and love as being at odds with with each other they're and they're, and they're not just that's not enough because he's not also just saying that they can coexist and just kind of you can have both kind of operating independently in the church, but uh, so they can they can be in the same room. But that's not it at all. He's what he's saying is in the church and Christianity, truth and love are inseparable. You they're, they're to be fused together, and 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 so that's this is what he's going to be showing. It's the prescription of a healthy church. Then use the title is 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 this large doses of truth mingled with love. That's. That's what mixed in with with love. So to be deficient in either love or truth is to be. Is, is, it means that we're going to be sickly as as church and as Christians. So we need both of these these essential vitamins, truth and love. Just before we get into the letter itself and and break it down, the the context of Second John I think is important because it's different than. Some unique aspects that in Second John is he's writing as we'll see. There's much made of of the home, and what he's talking about is there, the the church existed in these house churches. There were the church met in homes, and 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 even unique to that is that the homes were open to hospitality for for particular reasons. And so what you had in in the in, in the early days in the first century Roman world, you had this fertile soil for the rapid growth of the church. You've heard of the 
the Pax Romana, the Via Romana, so the peace of Rome, the roads of Rome, the, 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 the language of Rome. You had all of these, these in God's providence as, as the church came on the scene after Christ's resurrection, you had all of these things in place which allowed for the rapid spread of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 8, Stephen is stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And what happens? Verse 4, there, for those who had been scattered went about preaching the words. He had all these Christians just scattered like, like hot embers just sent out into the dry tinder of the Roman world. And so they're going all over the place and they, they, they speak the language and they, they know the culture and they, and they have the ease of travel. And so you have believers going everywhere, everywhere. And as they went about traveling and evangelizing, they needed places to stay. And there were no motel sixes or, or anything comparable, any kind of holiday inn or anything. So they, there were there were inns in the first century, but they had terrible reputations, places of of prostitution and crime and just kind of general moral filth. And and so it became natural for Christians as they traveled around and and were spread out because of persecution. It became natural for Christians to stay with Christians. And and I mean we, we still have our version of this today, but it was it was very common in this in this time and so an evangelist coming to town would be given several nights uh, lodging in the, in a home and meals and and this was costly it, i mean there was they didn't have a lot of resources so this was a, a burden but it was one that was gladly borne by people and they this is this is the kind of the early roots of christian hospitality opening your home to strangers and believers coming in preaching the gospel and 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 giving sacrificing for for them to 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 see that they can can be freed up to do that work but it was costly and it was inconvenient to have people in their homes and 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 what seems to happen is some started to kind of take advantage of this system and so you had some who who claimed to be evangelists uh, but they were just looking for free lodging, handouts. You had others who were kind of false evangelists. They preached a different message than the apostles preached. And so you had false teachers that were traveling around. So the question is, should they be welcomed into homes too? They're not, they're not saying what the apostles are saying, so should, should we open our doors to them? Um, and into our churches, as it were, because when you're opening your, to your home in, in that time, context, it was often like you're opening yourself up to the Opening the church up to them. So how open should their homes and their churches be? Should anyone who comes in the name of Jesus be welcomed? What if they, again, contradicted the apostles' teaching? Do you welcome them with a uh, a bed and a warm meal? Or do you kind of turn off the lights and lock the door and, and pretend like you're not home? Or how, how do you, how, how are they to... To deal with this, because what you have, what you see, is as the church grew, so did the level of risk. I mean, there was more potential for for problems, and that's that's just a reality. As any church grows, there's more potential for for risk, and that's not really a bad thing. That's just a natural thing. So, what do you do? You can either, in this context, they could either just let anyone stay open open door policy. They don't want to offend anybody, so. Anybody who's looking for a place to stay, I don't, it doesn't matter what you teach, doesn't matter what you preach, just call yourself a Christian, just, you come on in and stay here. So that was one option. Uh, or they could just stop showing any hospitality. You know, it's too risky. I don't want to let any false teacher in, don't want to, don't want to risk that, so we're just not going to let anybody in. 
We're just going to shut this whole thing down. And it's, it's just not worth the risk. And we might get taken advantage of. And so verse 11 he says, if you give a false teacher a greeting, you take part in this wicked works. Well, I don't want to take part in anybody's wicked works. So we're just going to, we're just going to keep the doors locked. It's not going to happen. Or, and this is where John's going to go. You, 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 there's a third way. You, you show love. And you, you open your home. And you ha- show hospitality. But you do so full of truth and exercising discernment and, 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 and careful, careful discernment. And so that's, that's what, that's, I think, the, the, the really what's behind the purpose of this little letter. He's helping these, this church, helping these believers deal with this issue that was this unique circumstance. You've got all these people coming through and looking for a place to stay and, and wanting to be uh, having an opportunity to, to teach in some public way for these, for these house churches and the churches there and, and, and to, to have some kind of commendation from these churches. How are they to think about that? How are, how are they to hold these things in tension? This, this love, hospitality, and also holding on to, to truth. And that's what John's writing to give some instruction on. Showing this truth-rich hospitality and love. And so it's a very short letter. And let's read it now and then we'll I'll give, you, um, give you a few kind of talking points, teaching points to help us put it together. Letter of 2 John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning. That we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Alright, so we're, we're gonna, we're not gonna break it down in, in, in fullest detail and walk through every verse and every phrase here, but I want us to keep these two these two primary prongs in front of us of what John is wanting to address with this church. I think that's the, I want us to see the main idea. And it's that we need, again, this truth mixed with love and large doses of. So the first vitamin that we've, we've got to take, we've got to guard ourselves from the kind of the potential for theological infections and, and errors. If we need love. We need an abundance of love. And so three things to say about this love. First of all, as John makes it clear that love is commanded by God. 
John's not just writing his kind of personal thoughts on what would be helpful for this for this church. Um, what matters is what God has spoken. And so he says, verse 5 again, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So, so John's not being, not being innovative here. He's, he's, he's simply passing on the commands that God has already given, that they, they, they would walk in love. It's just nothing new. This is not some breakthrough that um, some church health or growth guru kind of came up with. This is the key uh, to church life and ministry. It, it's, it's, this has been from the beginning. This is from Jesus himself, from the time the church came into being. This is, this is what it was about. It's walking in love. And I just, just kind of as a side application here, by, by, by relaying God's command to this church and not his own, again, opinions, he sets a good model for us. He sets a good model for me. I mean, for those who, particularly those who teach and preach, that I, I, what I preach shouldn't come from me. The pulpit's not my soapbox to be able to stand up and just kind of share my thoughts and my ideas on on scripture that's not the point of it, it the, the our my job and and our job is to just to proclaim the word of god that this is this is what we what we what we speak whatever god has commanded that's what we're to pass on and 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 so his commands should be our greatest concerns again not not our thoughts, not our opinions. And that's true, again, for all of us. Sunday school teachers and small group, and small groups and as you talk with your children and family members. And it's, again, it's the important thing is not what we think. It's what God, what God has commanded, what God has made clear. And so what he's saying, though, is that love is commanded. Love is not an option for the church. It's not some kind of nice upgrade. If you, you know, get a car and you can get some, you can... Get the base model, or you can add some really cool features and stuff to make it more comfortable ride and and just a more enjoyable experience. And this is not leather heated seats. Love. This is this is the engine. I mean, this is basic and and essential. Um, so it's commanded by God. And to love is to obey God. Second, love is personified by by John here, by the elder author of this little letter. So John himself demonstrates this kind of love that God commands in this letter. And, he, and you notice it in his manner of addressing this with them. He's gentle with them. He has this command of Jesus. This is a command they had from the beginning, but he doesn't beat them over the head with it. How does he address it with them? Verse 5, I ask you, dear lady, I ask you that we, that we love one another. And he's speaking, speaking gently um, to them. And, and and this is how we should address one. I'm, I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to build, you know, that there are places where there's strong language and there's kind of bold, you know, exhortation and and um, reproof and rebuke, and there are there are all those places. But oftentimes, we can we can unnecessarily kind of turn the temperature up and and addressing things with people by being demanding or or over speaking and John is careful not to do that in this case he's he's helping this church they've they've probably wandered into some kind of some deep weeds and trying to figure out how do they do this how do they show this hospitality and how open should they be and he's trying to help them and he's so he's appealing to them in a gracious way 
and speaking with gentleness and kindness and love, the fruit of the Spirit, and such that should characterize our our dealings. Um, that's true all of the time, but oftentimes it's going to be in this more gentle way, not trying to win our own way, but trying to the, the aim in, in these in, in helping people is to is to to see God's best for them, for everybody involved, and that's what John. Is doing here. And so the manner in which he writes. Personifies this command. That God has given. But also the matter. What is he, what is he, what he's, what he's addressing with them. His concerns for them. His concern isn't. Isn't his personal gain. It's, it's, it's for their pastoral good. He, he writes to them. So that they would. So that we love one another. His concern is. Is for them. He wants this to be evidenced in them. True of them. He wants them to learn to live together and to love. To hum, humbly place other people's interests above their own. And just have this kind of loving environment in their church. This is his desire for them. So so this is a great concern of, of John's. Uh, I mean I just say to us. Our greatest concern should not be the things that affect us immediately and personally. Our greatest concerns, what should compel us and what should constrain us is what is best for others, for the church. That should be what, 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 what compels us. And this is what John is demonstrating here. Um, his, he's making their concerns, uh, or making his concerns those things which are the, for the good of the flock and what they need is, is to, this kind of love for one another. Um, that's the kind of love again we all need to grow in as as members of the church. This this looking not only to our own interests but also to the interests of others. Philippians two four. So so John exemplifies this kind of love. Third thing I'd say about this love is that it's characterized by obedience. Let's begin verse six. So what is what is this love that God commands and that John uh, kind of personifies? Verse six. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. So love is walking in obedience to God's commands. We've sort of said that already. So what is God's command? It goes on. This is the commandment. Just as you heard from the beginning. So you should walk in it. The New American Standard translates it. His command is that you walk in love. So you have this kind of spiraling nature of obedience and love here. So what is the command? To walk in love. What is love? That you obey his commands. And on and on and on it goes. What do we, how do we put that together? Um, I don't, I don't think this is just some kind of aimless circle where we just go round and round and round between obedience and, and uh, to commands and love. I don't think that's the point. What, it's not, it's not a circle. It's as we grow to understand what God has commanded, we're better able to love. And the more we practice love, the more we, we, we desire to know what God has said and we want to obey what He commands, which is love. And so we go on and on. It's a, it's forward moving. It's, we're growing in this. So it's not, again, just round and round and stuck on this. It's, it's, we're, we make progress. As we love, we're obeying. And it's the more we, the more we love, the more we want to obey. And the more we obey, the more we see the need to love. And we grow in these things. So, that's the first thing. Again, I don't want to miss the forest for all the trees. What he's saying is, you gotta have love. That's, that's not a, it's not an option. So it's not, it's not an option to just shut it down and to close the doors and batten the hatches and just say, we're just gonna kinda hang on and build our little compound and, and, and just hang on until Jesus returns and, and just 
take care of ourselves. Now, it's not an option. He says there needs to be love. There needs to be this kind of openness. But it's not, it's, it's, it's not some loosey-goosey kind of love. It's not just mere emotion or affection. It's, but it's also not dispassionate obedience. So we don't, don't hear that either, where we're just kind of slavishly obeying. And so, yes, I'm a loving person. It's this warm, it's warm and it's sincere and it's desire to do, to, to give oneself for the good of others. That's, that's the, what he's holding up for there. So, so this is, love is essential. To lack love, as, we, as we'll see, is, is to defiantly disobey God. We, we may not think like that, but that's, that's what he's saying. To lack love is, is to mask and to hide the true character of God that he wants to, to, to shine forth from our lives. To lack love is, is really to be unchanged by the cross. It's, it's to, to be un, unmoved by the gospel, to be, to, to, to not be transformed by it as God intends. So, so it's a serious matter. So the first thing he says, we need love. That's the first vitamin we have to have. We can't be deficient here. Second vitamin. It's not in competition. It's, it's truth. It's truth. You do get to verse 7, and I think as we read through it, you probably noticed this. The tone changes in verse 7. Um, he starts discussing these deceivers, these false teachers. And so there's just quite a con- there's this contrast between the love one another of verse 5 and verse 10. Do not welcome deceivers. So, so we have, again, this tension that we, we we're trying to wrestling with here. But, but if we hold these two sections together, it, it will challenge our assumptions that there is this kind of, this major dividing wall between truth and love. And he's gonna be adamant here that, that, um, that they don't. They belong together. There's no, there's no contradiction here. Um, Christianity, the church, it's gotta have love, but it also needs truth. So that's the second vitamin, truth. So, Couple statements about truth. First thing is that truth is going to be opposed by false teachers. It's going to face opposition. And so you, you see the passion that John has for the truth in his opposition against untruth, against those who are teaching, um, false, falsehood, false teachers. So verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So these deceivers deny that God actually became human and took on flesh. And yet they continue to call themselves Christians and they attempt to, to, to teach Christians this false doctrine about the person of Jesus Christ. And so we just say this is true then and it's true now. The church, the church is, it never exists in a theologically sterile environment. I mean, you have the apostles still living and, and John still ministering and the apostle himself writing letters and instructing, but that's, there's no, there's no perfect safeguard. The church is always susceptible to, to theological viruses and, and, and false teachers will always abound and we, and that's what we see here. And just note a couple of things from verse seven about these, these false teachers. One, they're deceptive. They're deceptive. They're, they're misleading. Paul says to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, they're, they're false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Uh, he gets, John would say the same thing. That's who these, these guys are. They don't wear name tags on their, 
on their chest and say, Steve, I'm a heretic or something like that. They, they're, they're, they're smooth. They, they blend in. They, 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 they know how to look and talk and act um, like true Christians and true apostles in, in their case. They don't have some kind of evil glint in their eye that if you, you, you should be able to to be able to notice and say, man, this is one scary, scary guy. I need to stay away from this, this fellow. That's not it at all. Um, so, so they, they take their cues from their master, from the devil himself who closed himself as, closed himself as an angel of light. And so, so, so are these. They're deceptive. Second thing we note is they're, they're numerous. He says, many, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and, personalities and flavors and just all kinds of stripes of false teachers. They, they have influence in numbers. And that's one of the things that makes them so appealing. You say, man, they got a, they must have something going on because they have sold how many books and man, they got this radio ministry and they got this private jet and all these people are going to these, these rallies and stuff. So man, this, this must be, must be some good stuff there. I can just say that they're, that's not, that's not a guarantee that Popularity is not the standard that we that we determine truth by. So they so they have the influence of numbers. Even in John's day, they're they're, they're evangelists. I mean, in a air quote kind of way, not true evangelists. But they they want people. They want followers. They want adherents. So so they're they're numerous. Third, they're active. They're not just. It's not just random or passively just hoping somebody kind of comes along. No, they, John says, they have gone out into the world. They're, they're, they're actively pursuing, uh, folks to, to, to believe what they're teaching. They, they get around. They can be found anywhere in the world. That's true today. I mean, anywhere the gospel has gone in this world, there is false teaching that has gone in right behind it. I mean, they, it, it's it's staggering, but the, the the work of of deceivers, the work of false teachers, it parallels our own work. I mean, you, again, you go anywhere in the world, you, gospel witness, you're gonna you're gonna have an anti-gospel witness at work too. I mean, just think of the places where we have missionaries, we know what's going on, and and they, they testify to these things when they come and report. So they're active. Also, they're they're against Christ. They're Antichrist, as John says, they're enemies of Jesus. They're seeking to destroy him by destroying his body, undermining his work. So they're against him. They they come sounding like they're helping Christ out. So they they sound like they're protecting the the doctrine of the personhood of Christ by saying, no, he couldn't have had couldn't have come in human form. That would be that would be diminishing his deity. So they they reason. They sound like they're they're. Super spiritual and, and kind of protecting the honor of Christ and helping Jesus out. But in reality, they're against him. Because they're not proclaiming the truth about Christ. And so they're attacking him. Anytime people try and help Jesus out, that's, that's trouble. They try to make Jesus more tolerant or make Jesus more mysterious or make Jesus more relevant or make Jesus more intellectual or to, to, to help him out, to make him more palatable, um, that's, that's always gonna lead to danger. Jesus doesn't need our help in defending his personhood. He, he wants our trust. He wants our worship. He wants our obedience. He wants our love. He wants our faith. 
Um, so truth, it's going to be opposed by false teachers. Second, truth must be known by Christians. We've got to, we've got to know it. We've got to, got to hold to it. Bite in it. These, these false teachers are, we're not, they're not, again, they're not trying to undermine some secondary doctrinal issue. No, this is core. This is essential stuff. The very person and work of Jesus is at, is at stake here in what's being, being attacked. This is essential truth. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. Whether or not Jesus is fully God and fully man is, is absolutely critical to our, to our salvation, to our faith. If you lose this truth, you lose Christianity. So this is a core issue. This isn't, um, some kind of tertiary doctrinal matter. The, the the sacrifice of Christ's physical body is key to salvation because human sinners need a human, fully human substitute in the face of God's punishment for our sin. If Jesus is if, if Jesus is less than fully human, then he's then his sacrifice will be completely ineffective. And yet, and if he's less than fully divine, then his sacrifice will be will be insufficient to atone for sin. So it's got to be fully God, fully man. That's the only thing that works. And 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 so John understands this. So he says, "This is serious. We can't, we can't, we can't miss this. So we need to be clear on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is what he wants these, this church to to understand. You've got to know this. And we need to be mindful that again, there are limitless distortions to to the truth about the person." And work of Jesus Christ. So we, we have to be constantly checking ourselves for theological and, and infections and routinely checking our, checking ourselves, watching our life, watching our doctrine. And so he says in verse eight, watch yourselves. That's the, that's the key word. Watch yourselves. That's the, the warning. That there are, there are seeds of heresy in, in every human heart. We all have, we all have sinful inclinations that can be played upon and that there are certain false teachings that, man, if, if we come in contact, if we have our guard down, if we're not watching carefully, then we're going to be susceptible. We're going to take the bait. So we have to identify them. We got to weed them out. I, I, it's, you know, getting sort of close to gardening time and we don't have sun to have a real garden but we have got a few little kind of raised bed boxes and so we plant some things every year and i i can't always tell the difference between a weed and a vegetable just by looking at the leaves um i mean and and my garden area is full of weeds right now so there are plenty of little weed seeds in there that are going to be glad to grow right alongside whatever i plant um in particular I don't know what it is about okra, but there in some of those seed packets, there is okra and there is some kind of false okra. And then they both grow thick stalks and they both get tall and one of them does not bear fruit. And the leaves look a little different, but um, for the last two years, that's been the case in ours. And and so, you know, obviously you can wait until the the, the plant produces fruit to see you know, if everything else is producing fruit and it produces something different or doesn't produce at all, then you can know that you got to pull it out. But, um, but, but the other way to do that is I, I, I know that I, if I plant things in a row, if I plant things in order, anything that's out of that row is not truly, um, it's not, it's not a vegetable. It's not what I planted. 
And so if weeds are going to sprout up, sometimes they'll be close to in line and it's hard to tell, but most of the time they're going to be all over the place and so I can just go pull that stuff out. Well, false teaching, it's going to produce bad fruit. It always will because whatever you believe affects how you live, what you do, what you think, what you say. Um, so it's always gonna, it's always gonna show up in bad fruit. It's gonna divide churches. It's gonna destroy marriages. It's going to rob joy. It's gonna ruin lives. False teaching always will. But you don't have to wait for it to bear that fruit before you uproot it, before you deal with it. You, you look for beliefs that are out of line. Not with what, not with what I like, not with my personal preferences and my lifestyle, but out of line with the Bible. And so that's, that's what we're always looking for. What's out of line? What's out of step with Scripture? Some, some doctrines are out of line with us, but they're right in line with Scripture. And we, we struggle with them when we, we wrestle and we do, we're not comfortable with it. And so you have the doctrine of election. There's often something we get all tied up in knots and doesn't, but, but, but then, but what I'm saying is be suspicious with teachings that are out of line with, with orthodoxy, with, 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 certainly with the Bible. Historic Christianity. Look for evidence of corrupted thinking, out of line thinking about Christ. How do, how do you prepare for that? Well, I mean, there's obviously first and foremost, read the Bible. Be a student of Scripture, and and, and I don't mean you, you. I mean, read it all. Read read and get a sense of the whole flow of the Bible, and 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 so you can interpret Scripture with Scripture. So that's. That's the biggest thing. There are other things you could do. You can read solid theological, doctrinal books. Read a systematic theology and get a framework of uh, a good one. And so, if you want recommendations, we can we can give you some. But um, read historic creeds, um, confessions, uh, catechisms, that kind of thing. There are some that are obviously better than others, and those are all they're man-made documents. So I'm not saying. The perfect scripture is our final authority, but they can be helpful. They're, they're just tools to, to help us and to kind of see where the lines are drawn in scripture. And then I would say also, this is what we need. We need the body. We get in trouble when we just go off by ourselves and we, we pull away from the church. And so we need the correction. We need the reproof. We need the exhortation. We need the um, uh, reproof of, of the body. And so listen to and invite correction from others and ask questions and get help and I mean, this is a big part of it so so again what what he's warning them is he's saying just watch yourselves watch yourselves truth matters don't don't forget that last thing i'd say about regards to the truth is that untruth must be strongly resisted it must be strongly resistant. We've we've bumped into this already, but but you have to we have to keep ourselves keep our distance from doctrinal disease carriers. That's what he's now he's getting down real practical for these believers who are dealing with this issue of hospitality with strangers and those that are teaching different doctrine. And we we understand about disease carriers right now. They're in the news with the Zika virus and and uh, trying to figure out how to prevent this from becoming widespread in our own nation and other nations are trying to trying to determine this how do the how do we help how do we support those efforts to eradicate this in places where it's already um, becoming more rampant but i mean if somebody just take that virus aside i don't know all the ins and outs of that particular virus but if somebody comes to your door 
and they're highly contagious, and that's very visible, whatever this disease is. And, and it's some airborne, deadly disease that's well known, and, and clearly they have it, and, and you know it's contagious. What are you, what are you gonna do? You're gonna ask them to kinda come, come on in, come, come play with my kids, and, and, uh, why don't you set the table while we, while I get dinner f- finished up, and, is that, is that the way to respond to that? Um, is it unloving not to welcome them in? Um, of course not. I mean, I'm not saying you, you know, shoot them or something. Just, I mean, you, there's, there's, that's not the response. But you don't let them cross the threshold of your house. Uh, that, that's not it. God, and what I'm saying is God has warned us that there are those who come to our door, our church door, the door of our home, our small groups, our Sunday school class, they, they come here and they have these spiritually life-destroying viruses. And we gotta, we gotta be careful. I don't try to alarm or scare. That's not my point. But what, it, what is the loving thing to do? Just to say, come on in, brother. Come on in. Absolutely. You can, here, take it. Say what you want to say. No, that's not, that's not loving. That's not loving them. It's not loving the body. It's not protecting the body. So John, is, again, he's already told us that we need to be hospitable to strangers. He's the apostle of love, so we call John. But, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, it's an apostolic teaching, do, do not receive him into your house or give him your, any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So if anyone doesn't, doesn't, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, he's not talking about it in some kind of casual sense. It's not like if somebody, you know, comes in, visits one Sunday, and after the service they're talking to a couple people and they're disagreeing with whatever the preacher said. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's, he's referring to someone who comes in some kind of official teaching capacity. Don't, don't receive him. Don't, don't give him any greeting. Don't give recognition. Don't give consent and commendation to this man. That's not the loving thing to do. That's not, that's again, the truth and love are not in contradiction here. Don't let him teach false doctrine. Don't install him in some kind of formal teaching position. Um, that's to share in his wicked works. That's the word there is koinonia, which if you don't know many Greek words, you may know that word. It's that fellowship, to have, to have fellowship. That this is what's to exist between brothers and sisters in Christ, a shared life together. You're sharing your life, your, the core of who you are with 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 wickedness. So we've got to be careful not, not to have this kind of close fellowship with false teaching, particularly when it relates to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can have open homes in the sense of, I mean, again, this is unique. It's talking about house churches and entertaining and this kind of official capacity, but particularly our pulpits, our churches, should, be, should not be welcoming and not be hospitable to to false doctrine so so the church it's got to have love it's got to have truth let's go together but does it kind of it kind of sounds like the first half of second john sounds nice and yet the second half sounds kind of harsh hard love one another and then he says do not take into your house or welcome him but we need we need love and truth uh, again, it's not enough to specialize in some kind of cold, loveless truth indoctrination. That's not that's not the goal. But 
love that compromises the truth is is a complete sham. So we need we need both. We need healthy amounts of both. So just a couple of concluding statements, and then and then we're going to be done. Uh, three statements. Um, pursue love and unity in the church without compromising or minimizing the truth. Now I've said this already, so I'm not going to linger here. But we're, we're not to be embarrassed by a high view of the scriptures. That we, the the that's that's got to be in place with the standard the the thing that we unite around is to be is to be the word of god and and supremely what it teaches of the person and work of jesus christ and so it's not it's not anything else it's not our common interests that hold us together it's the scriptures and and his gospel that we rally around second defend the truth without becoming unloving critical harsh divisive arrogant or just kind of generally hard to get along with uh, some some of us we struggle with that where that line is and so yeah we're all about defending the truth but we can be real jerks about it and that's not that's not that's not okay john would not sign off on that uh, we need there needs to be this love that's got to flavor the truth there there have to be lines in the sand john's making that clear but every issue is not a line in the sand and and some of us want to make that the case. We don't want this church to be known strictly for what we're against. Um, we want to have a reputation for the glory of God and or to the glory of God for holding fast God's word and reaching out in love both to one another and to our community and to the world. And so so we need to we need to keep that in mind. Third. Don't abandon the church because of the risks and the problems associated with this. Now, I realize I'm speaking to those who have done anything but this very thing. But it's always a temptation because it, things get hard. And, and again, there are risks. Like you, relationships bring risks. The church brings risks. There are challenges that come with that. And, and so there, there's risk to your, to your own life. There's risk to your family. There's risk to... To, in all kinds of ways, and so don't, don't, but don't abandon it. Don't abandon this church. Don't abandon the church because of these. There are there are good reasons to leave churches, but there are a lot more bad ones, and um, that's often what I hear. But view your relationship to the church as a, as a marriage, and this is the language that he's using here. This is chosen lady. Don't just walk away when you get tired of it. Um, or something more exciting comes along, but um, so 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 don't 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 abandon it, even when things get hard. Well, I just say last thing: it's it's not surprising that John would connect truth and love like he does in this little letter to this church. Why why does should that not surprise us? Because who has John spent a whole lot of time with? Jesus. Yeah. He spent a lot of time with Jesus. Um, this is a disciple whom Jesus loved. There was a special, unique relationship that John identifies as he identifies himself. This is how he speaks of himself in the Gospel of John. So so he's spent a lot of time with Christ. He's And Jesus, more than anybody else, any of us could possibly do, he exemplifies this fusion of truth and love together. It's perfectly displayed in Christ. And, and, and so, 
I would just say to us, if we want, as we want to grow in this, what we really want to grow in is, is, is moving towards and loving Jesus Christ and holding Him up. It's clinging to the gospel of Christ, being transformed by the good news as we understand, believe, cling to the gospel as we uh, pursue Christ and pursue Christ's likeness. Uh, we're going to see truth and love. It's going to feel less like a tension and more like uh, uh, just a close bond that, that we would never, we would never want to separate. And, and so may, may God be pleased to, to form uh, Christ in us so that that becomes more of a reality. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray for this church. I pray that you would help us as we read this little letter to um, to another church. God, I pray that we would see that this is this has been given by you, inspired by you, and put in the scriptures for for our benefit, for our instruction, Lord. And so that we'd be challenged by this, as we it would be a church that has open doors in the right sense, and we have open homes and open tables where we, we do welcome strangers, and we do want to be hospitable, and we do want to have this deep and 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 demonstrated love for, for people, for brothers and sisters in Christ, but help us not in that to, uh, to, to, to lose the importance of truth, particularly truth that relates to your son Jesus. We want the truth of Jesus Christ to constrain um, our love. And so, Lord, help us to draw near to Christ. And as we do, the more we know Christ, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we study him, the more we're going to see these realities grow in us, God. So may there be, may we see that spiral in our life of, of moving more and more, growing more and more in love and obedience and truth, Lord. Uh, help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.